Rootstown Connection, welcome back to the Rootstown Aggressive Podcast. I'm your host, Jake, of course, uh, episode 46. We are on the go home to uh, Armageddon 2002, and I have a guest, a returning guest, as always. Uh, well, not always, but usually I have returning guests at this point after 46. I mean, there's only so many people I know, but I still get new ones every now and then. But anyway, it's going to be my, my good pal, the uh, the master of the stretch projects, Mr. Tyler Kelly. What's going on, Tyler? Not much, Jake. How are you doing? I'm fine. Um, how are you, buddy? Oh, doing all right. Uh, trying to make it through through winter, getting ready to uh, hopefully root on the Chiefs to another playoff run and uh, survive any any cold weather, any snows we might be getting here coming up. But uh, but all good. Very well. Um, but anyway, I'm, I'm hoping you're okay after these two episodes of. Uh, WWE TV from 2002 because they well we'll get into it maybe not the uh, the cream of the crop but interesting nonetheless and I'm sure we'll have many interesting topics to touch on here as we always do here on the pod but if if you're cool with it we will hop right into the uh, the news and notes I have a couple um maybe not the most relevant to WWE but some pretty interesting ones I would say that will happen too for this um illustrious week in 2002. That sounds great and we will talk about. This TV because I do have some thoughts on it. So, but I'm interested <laughs> to know if there are any other uh, any other possible assaults or any other news of the day. So, take it away. Right. Jake. Well, so we'll start with the turf war that is going on between XPW um, and CZW and 3PW, which I'm 
three PWs into one for me. Not as familiar with them, but they are um, XPW signed exclusive three year lease on the old ECW arena in Philadelphia that will last to the end of 2006 with an option to extend another two years. This prevents CZW, 3PW, and any other promotions from running shows there. However, if XPW goes out of business, losses, loses the athletic commission, or stops regularly running, the lease will be terminated. Word is XPW is paying $8,000 a month for the rights. They plan to renovate the arena and add an entrance ramp and make some other changes. Um, so trying to get exclusive rights to the old ECW arena. Do you think... Uh, I got to say, eight thousand a month seems a bit steep, and um, I, I would imagine XPW is not able to keep this up very long. Yeah, I, I have no knowledge of this, or <laughs> or three PW, unless that is some kind of a Star Wars robot extension. <laughs> then I am unfamiliar. So, <laughs> right. Um, WWA, a promotion in, in Scotland, I mentioned them because um, kind of lets us know what some of our former EC, uh, WCW, I should say, stars are up to. Lex Luger defeated Sting to win the WWA title in a short, terrible match, says Dave, that was basically botched from start to finish. Actually, after reading this, I kind of threw the match on. It's only about 10 minutes long, and it is not great. Sting is okay, but um, Luger just looks absolutely atrocious in this. Not a uh, pretty rough shape for Luger here, but um, they had that. There was a Nathan Jones appearance. There was a Sabu, Perry Saturn, Simon Diamond match that saw um, two tables break before they were supposed to, which pissed off Sabu. Uh, the show was taped and they edited a lot of it out, but um, not the greatest show. And also, maybe most interestingly, um, going with the criminal theme that usually happens on these notes, Buff Bagwell was also on the tour. And in your case, you're wondering what he's up to. He caused such a disturbance on the flight overseas that police were called and detained him after he landed in England, but he was eventually released. So some of your uh, favorite WCW stars here, uh, Tyler. Yeah, that takes me back to uh, to when you and I would talk through our favorite WCW all matches right. of all time, and uh, I don't think any of those would, uh, would have made it, although <laughs> there were some participants that, that did make it, but... That was some time ago. Those days, I think, are long gone at, that, at this right. point in 2002. Right. Certainly not 1988 Lex Luger. We're talking here. Uh, different animal. Uh, Ring of Honor ran another show in Philadelphia that drew uh, poorly compared to previous ones. Uh, some considered a bit of a lackluster show. But, of course, um, in retrospect, some big names. Colt Cabana defeated CM Punk. Um, that was the ROH debut for both of them. So I'd say CM Punk's debut in ROH, kind of a big deal. There were also matches AJ Styles, Brian Danielson, Paul London, uh, as well as others. And the main event featured the debut, <laughs> Ring of Honor debut of Abdul the Butcher, Butcher team with Homicide in a bloodbath against Carnage Crew. So there you go. Yes, I would be more familiar with uh, ROH during this time, but I wasn't following it. I wasn't following it in 2002, but I've watched quite a bit of 2002 Ring of Honor, although uh, I don't recall a lot of Abdullah the Butcher matches, so um, the rest of the, right. the crew sounds pretty good, though. Yeah, it's, it kind of, he sticks out a bit amongst the other names. It, he kind of, it's, which one of these is not like the other, but... Anyway, uh, WWE is pushing hard to bring in Goldberg for WrestleMania, and they made a strong enough pitch that Goldberg is said to be seriously considering. So getting closer and closer to a uh, possible arrival of Goldberg here, Tyler. It seems like it's been in the news for quite a bit. So we'll see when they eventually 
uh, pull the trigger as it comes down the line. Um, Shawn Michaels is planning to work some Raw House shows soon since he's the champion now. Whether or not his back can hold up will be a big question. Um, so, you know, seeing more and more from Shawn Michaels. And now I know this wouldn't be the norm, even as he did kind of become more of a regular in the second phase of his career. But it is interesting that he works some house shows because I know that would end up not really being his thing. He would work pretty much all the TV, I think, but not the uh, house shows. But real interesting that he felt good enough at this time. It kind of shows that he really is getting back into it. Yep. Yep. And we will see a little bit more out of him. Right. Um, Godfather was released by WWE. I'm not sure I knew he was still with the company. Um, Jeff Hardy and Justin Credible have both been suspended for uh, repeatedly showing up late to events. Maybe we'll see, uh, you know, in this episode of Raw, we can see how Jeff fares in this one. So you may, um, you know, this may be, I believe this news note matches up to what we're going to see from Hardy on the show itself, the position he's put in. But um, Hardy in particular is still a star, so he's only been suspended from house shows. They're still using him on TV, which is probably perfectly fine with Jeff since he's not motivated, Dave says. And Jamal of Three Minute Warning has been taken off TV due to some legal issues. So I know he's on this show, Jamal is, but I guess something's going on. But yeah, anyway, uh, so I guess Jeff was still on TV, but we'll see. He's not going to get the the top billing, put it that way. Yeah, that those last two news and notes you had actually – to shed a little bit of light on some of the things we'll see tonight. So. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, kind of mentioned this on the last one. It was no big shock that they did the injury angle with Ray because he's getting orthoscopic knee surgery. Um, and they were, uh, so the, the thing is that they were trying to decide backstage who would be the one who was going to injure him. Um, and of course the, the decision was kind of strange because it ended up being Albert, which was apparently a Vince decision. You know, they had batted around it possibly being Matt Hardy because he's kind of beginning to push lately. It would be a big spot for him. And supposedly Matt was a little upset that he was not chosen for that angle. And I uh, even wrote a blog way back in 2002. I don't know if blog was even determined 2002, but uh, I guess he, uh, he went on his live journal or something and, uh, and, you know, expressed his discontent. And uh, it's supposedly Michael Hayes was able to kind of talk him off the ledge and um, keep him from walking out, even though he was upset about all this. So some turbulent times for the old Hardy bros here. Yeah, thank goodness uh, calmer heads like Michael Hayes prevailed. (laughs) Calmer ponytails. (laughs) Um, On Tough Enough, one of the contestants, Jonah faked a neck injury as a rib, and the coaches, Bill DeMai, Al Snow, and Ivory all laughed it up like it was hilarious. Lance Storm, I guess, was not happy. It, it, just like Matt Hardy, went on his website. Everyone's getting websites here in late 2002. Everybody's hopping on, uh, you know, like I said, on their uh, – what was the other one? I think it was uh, Zanga maybe at this time. I remember knowing people who had Zangas. It was like a uh, like little live journal blog site. But uh, apparently he wasn't too happy about it, like uh, that this guy wasn't happy with the coaches especially for not taking it seriously because neck injuries, according to Lance Storm, are nothing too uh, – to to joke about and um he said how do you think a guy like darren drawsdahl would feel watching the show making a joke out of a supposed neck injury so none to amuse lance storm here yeah yeah well i guess that uh, that fits his character and his gimmick right um and then finally uh gail kim made her wwe debut at a house show beating Dolmarie marie in a bra and panties match so throw her right into the uh signature 
uh, Divas match here. Dave says Paul Heyman was the one uh, responsible for getting her signed. Um, and so, uh, no, I, I know. Is there some story about how Vince thought that Gail Kim was ugly or something? And Jim Ross had to like, uh, <laughs> there's like a story about how like Vince wasn't into her and JR told him something about how Asian porn was like a big deal. And that's what convinced convince him convinced Vince to sign her. I don't know if that's true, but I feel like I've seen that before. I I don't recall hearing that story, but <laughs> it certainly seems to check out. Knowing all the parties involved, I you know I I, I don't have any trouble believing that. Well Vince I gotta I can't do a good job man. Well, Vince I gotta tell you this uh Asian porno is a big deal. Anyway <laughs> <laughs> all right but anyway that's our news there. So um uh, like you said, a few of these will be relevant to what we're going to see on the shows, but we'll hop right in, Tyler. So we get we have Raw here from uh, the, from Knoxville, Tennessee, and it's going to be December 9th, 2002. We open up with Chief Morley and Eric Bischoff, and they have Sean and Triple H not in the ring. They're doing the whole deal where they're like on a split screen on the Titantron. Um, backstage, it's just odd. I guess they're trying to play up like they're trying to keep them apart because, you know, this feud is just too hot to have them in the ring together because – that may come the blows, but they get really right down to the point and just say that it's going to be a two out of three falls match, but not a traditional one. It will be a street fight will be the first fall. A cage match will be the second fall. Um, and if needed, the third will be a ladder match. And they make a big deal about this, the ladder match being Sean's kind of um, like he's the master of the ladder match, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, neither one of them really responds. Triple H or Sean, they just kind of stare and take the news in. And I don't know. They just kind of get down to the point. It was very businesslike. They didn't really get into a lot as to like what was the reason. Like they didn't bring in any kind of storyline reason really as to why it was going to be two out of three falls. They just kind of came out and said two out of three falls. You know, either guy said anything. It was what it was. There's, it was It was very much uh, – had the feeling of like, we are a week out from the pay-per-view. We need to get this step out. Here it is. Nice and neat. See you later. Like not, not much uh, pop and circumstance. Yeah, for sure. My, my thoughts and my notes were that uh, chief Morley reminds me of big chief tablets. And I don't know if you had big chief tablets in uh, down in the bayou or if that's, <laughs> that, that. you may be young enough that I'm quite sure those don't exist anymore for pretty obvious reasons, but uh Right, but did you do you know what I'm talking about at all? I do not. It's just like not. it's like medicine. It sounds like it would be like no, a heartburn no. medicine, like Tums, no. <laughs> big no, chief it, tablets. It, it, no, it's <laughs> yeah, a tablet ahead. of paper. It was literally just no. Oh, paper. okay. It had a red cover oh. with a Native American chief. So I again, I'm quite sure they've at least been rebranded, if not gone out of business <laughs> for a number of reasons. So, right. Um, no, I'm not so familiar. Chief, but, yeah, go ahead. No, Chief Morley reminds me, I always think of Big Chief Tablets or possibly a dog with a bandana, you know, when I think of <laughs> Chief Morley, because I feel like that would be a dog named Chief, you'd have a bandana, and that would have gotten over right. far better than I think Chief Morley will. So, uh, As for the announcement, I, I really want to scream no from 20 years in the future, because I, I don't really remember this particular match, but I remember that uh, Sean and Triple H tend to kind of have diminishing returns after the, the SummerSlam mm. match minus, you know, some, a, a couple others that I like, but, uh, but I don't want to get into any, any spoilers because I'm sure you'll cover the good, the bad and the ugly, those two and, the, right. and many others. 
Yeah, well, we'll, we'll get to see more of them. You know, if you thought this was all we're getting from these two on the show, then you know you were sorely mistaken <laughs> in this era of Raw. But um, I think the main issue is I, I, I'm with you. It has seemed kind of not just like the you know because we really haven't had a match between these two like a singles match, but I will say that the the feud doesn't have the juice that it had for SummerSlam. Like it just doesn't have the heat, um, the same level of heat that it did for SummerSlam, and it's definitely affecting their feud. It makes a lot of these segments come off a little flat. So um, I do agree with you on that one, but. We'll go into our first match here, which is going to be our uh, our weekly Regal and Storm tag team match. And they're going to be facing Booker T and Goldust, who have recently kind of, I don't want to say reunited because they never really broke up, but they had kind of, it's almost like Booker T took a bit of a, a sabbatical from the Booker, the Goldust tag team while he was doing the uh, Elimination Chamber and kind of feuding with Jericho a little bit. So they're kind of sticking them back together a little bit more here, as we're going to see. But um, good energy, as always, from those two as faces. I've talked about it many times on this podcast. Goldust starts getting worked over. Um, and I, every time I watch him in these, he's just I'm just reminded of how good he is in the stretch in the ring. He's just very agile, very crisp. I mean, he's always, when he's locked in, he always is. Like, it's not nothing new. But there's just been a lot of times in his career where, you know, physically he wasn't at that point. But here he's... He looks good. All his stuff looks really great. He hits a hot tag to Booker T, but uh, Booker comes in hot, but he gets cut off. And uh, Goldust comes back, gets the blind tag, and comes in and shatters Regal's dreams. Lots of great cutoffs in this one by both teams, um, kind of cutting each other off. But as things break down, Goldust ends up in the sharpshooter uh, by Lance Storm, and he ends up tapping. But overall, I thought it was a fun match. We'll get into the... Um, you know, the the fallout from this in a second. But I thought this was a good, solid tag team match. Um, Regal and Storm, of course, great technicians. Booker T and Goldust are a fantastic taste, uh, face team. And um, I thought this delivered pretty well. Went a, a good, solid two and a half, Tyler. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. So, uh, I was a little lower than you mm-hmm. on it. Just And I, I'm going with my, my first reaction uh, ratings and I had it at two and a quarter, so we weren't far off at all. But um, right. I, I I do think this this match wound up telling the story they wanted to tell very effectively. Um, mm-hmm. But as I was watching it, the first go through, I thought, well, it, that it was odd that they had like a heel shine segment against Goldust, and then Booker got in and kind of ran wild. So it was obvious that that's who the company really wanted to shine up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I really did enjoy the uh, the Shattered Dreams or Golden. Jr. called it the Golden Globe, so maybe they're right. that's what they're calling it. It's his when he kicks them in the nuts, puts their legs on the ropes and kicks them in the nuts. Uh, but it was Regal, so Regal's facials with that move is just perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, I guess, I was just surprised to see the clean win with the sharpshooter on Goldust, and I I felt like the match was a little short, um, and maybe it's because I. I tend to uh, watch more pay-per-view than TV mm-hmm. matches. So maybe it wasn't, but it just felt a little short. I felt like I wanted a little more, which is not a bad thing because it, it left me wanting a little bit more. And it said there's nice action and, and Booker looked good. And Gold Dust was clearly made out to be the weakling. Uh, mm-hmm. And we will see that as I think you were going to go into the, the next segment you know, and, and how this plays out. So. Right. Like you, you mentioned having a good match wasn't necessarily, I mean, they had a pretty good match, I think, but the main focus was to kind of build the story. So we hear that there's going to be a four, 
a four tag team elimination match for the tag team titles. Um, Coach catches uh, Booker T and Goldust as they head back up the ramp um, after their loss to ask him um, how many chances they're going to need to get the belt. Booker T is very upset with this and threatens to shove the mic up Coach's ass, which was funny. Uh, Goldust, though, as Booker T is angry, he grabs the mic and kind of takes the blame for it and says he's the reason that they haven't been able to win the title or haven't been able to seal the deal. And he says he's going to tell Eric Bischoff to give give Booker T another partner at Armageddon um, so he actually has a shot to win the title. So as you kind of alluded to, Tyler, Goldust identifying himself as the weak link here, which is it, it's an interesting angle. I kind of enjoy this. The The only issue here is that in a lot of the stuff that's going on here, it's just like December pay-per-view kind of deal is that we're a week out from the pay-per-view. It's a good angle. It's a good kind of way to build Booker T and Goldust, but this should have been going on. I mean, they've kind of had it going on because they've lost some matches, but it's the first time they've really addressed it or had Goldust say anything or had the team themselves kind of mention it. So it's it almost seems like a little bit too late to really build this angle as much as you would like to, but it is still interesting going to the pay-per-view. Yeah, and, and I do think that these characters can pull it off but it, it wouldn't be the easiest angle to pull off i mean gold dust could look really bad in this acting like he's you know i'm the weak link could make him look bad and depending on how booker reacts which we'll see more of later that could hurt him as well uh but i think that these two kind of they nail it pretty well mm-hmm. Yeah, they're so over, I think. Like, they have such a good connection with the crowd. And I think Goldust particularly has a lot of sympathy with the crowd. Like, the crowd's really into him and, like, wants to like him. So I think since he can't get the sympathy, it works a bit better. Like, if there's somebody in the crowd that wasn't really over as a face, the crowd would just boo him, like, yeah, he does suck. But the crowd's <laughs> kind of, like, sympathetic towards him, which helps his cause. Absolutely. Right. All right, so um, we'll head backstage where uh, Trish, which I'm sure this is definitely natural, and she uh, was really wanting to read Hogan's book, but Trish is uh, reading Hulk Hogan's new book backstage before Jericho takes it from her and uh, starts to brag about how he got Hogan to submit to the walls and doing some you know, casual Jericho uh, gloating. He says that you could cut the sexual tension between them with a knife, and Trish seems a bit into it, or at least is putting that on to Jericho, but then calls him, um, he, he's been saying that the ladies want some of his vitamin C. She then says that it's actually vitamin we rather than C, um, saying that he's a small penis. Uh, Jericho then says that he is going to put her through the table tonight in the uh, the mixed tag, or I should say intergender or mixed tag, whatever the hell it ends up being later, uh, table match. So some tension there. Jericho, none too happy about with Trish uh, making fun of his uh, penis there. Yes, well, um, because I believe it was the week before in a previous episode where where that was shown to all in attendance and anyone watching, I guess, uh, <laughs> right. when Good their call. bags were taken. So, yep. So that I felt like that was a callback. Um, and otherwise, I you know I had all the same notes you did. The, you can cut the sexual tension with a knife. So I thought that was a good line, and I thought Jericho kind of did a good job of going from the you know, the goofy humor and then kind of taking it in a more mm-hmm. serious and a little dark direction saying he's going to put Trish through the table. So right. they had good chemistry too. Maybe it's the uh, Canadian connection. Yeah, they definitely do have good chemistry and spoiler alert. You may get to cover that at a later date in 
mm-hmm. no, the ruthlessly aggressive era. So. We shall see. All right, we now head to some other room backstage in Knoxville where RVD is chatting on the phone, which is cracking me up. Just RVD on the phone is a funny um, – because he's just, you know, hanging out like a dude, bro. Uh, but he's chatting on the phone in Eric's office. Eric comes in. Essentially, Morley comes in and hangs up the phone, upset that they let him get in. Um, that uh, Sorry, he's upset that RVD's in the office, but RVD fires back and says he's a bit peeved at how they let him get hit with chairs last week and how he's been treated lately. And he reveals that he was actually on the phone with Scott Steiner, who they've been trying to sign. So maybe it wasn't the best idea to make him hang up. And that's sort of the end of this segment. So um, I don't know. I don't really know much of the point of this. It was just, I guess, to cause tension between Bischoff and Morley and RVD, I guess. Yeah. I don't know, Tyler, any I thoughts? Didn't really <laughs> have any, no, right. I don't have any thoughts other than it. he – uh, when they finally paid it off that he was talking to Scott Steiner, it made a little more sense because one of the things RVD says is he's like, oh, hey, how's your brother? And so I'm like, oh, hey, <laughs> right. the dog's face gremlin. You know, so there we go. And that's it. There's nothing else of any significance. Right. right. It was just one of those sort of uh, mostly inconsequential backstage segments you get sometimes on here. All right, we'll head to our next match, which is going to be Stevie versus Jackie. Victoria gives Stevie a nice bite on the neck for good luck, which is uh, JR thinks is very strange. So we go into this. So, of course, this is an intergender match as uh, Stevie facing Jackie. Uh, stems from last week's Victoria situation um, that Jackie beat Victoria, and Stevie is not happy about that. Uh, JR in a nice line compares Stevie's um, one, I guess, of getting bitten and, you know, into that sort of kinky stuff. Compares him to Marv Albert, uh, the famous Marv Albert, um, I guess, how would you say that, controversy? Or, you know, that Marv Albert was into some, um, you know, yes. um, the kinkier I, things. Yeah, go I ahead. I didn't remember that. And so I, of course, I looked it up and immediately thought, oh, maybe I shouldn't have done that. But yes, apparently <laughs> he liked to fight and wear women's underwear but there were he was accused of a sexual assault so i i was like boy jr i don't know if you should have intentionally associated <laughs> right. me with that so right what? jr might have forgot about that part he was probably uh i guess he was only thinking of the biting in the uh, the woman's underwear True. but right well and i think it was kind of played off like oh this guy's into some weird stuff or this you know there's some weird things but i don't think the uh the severity or the the seriousness was was kind of swept under the rug or or brushed aside so no you're probably right because what i've seen of it i mean i've never i feel like you're right because i don't really remember them covering that aspect of it very much it's always been kind of played up for yucks you know yeah like it is here um Anyway, but right. But Jackie hangs for a minute, but he just overpowers her and beats her with a DDT. It's it's barely a match. It lasts a couple minutes. It's just you know Stevie being the heel, taking advantage of you know facing a woman and kind of you know pure heel stuff. Not much to write home about. I just want to star on it. It's kind of a squash match, honestly. Yeah, um, I did have that. Uh... Jackie looked a little better in the ring than I remembered her. Uh, remembered her looking, but I don't remember being very impressed with her the first go around. But um, there was a sign in the background that said, "David, I love you, and yes, I will marry you." And that just sent oh. my mind because I can just imagine David proposing 
being all romantic, mischiefing like, well, you know, I don't know. Let me sleep on it. Look for your answer on Monday Night Raw. All the <laughs> right. I I know that it wasn't you know like, hey, will you marry me? It was, I will marry you. Like I forgot to give answer your question, but now I've thought about it. So. Yeah, like how does I, that work? Because usually someone answers in the moment, you know. They're like, uh, "I'll give you your answer on the December ninth episode of Raw. Make sure you watch exactly. for me in the crowd." Exactly. I I feel like if you don't get an answer to that one pretty immediately, that's not a great sign. Uh yeah, the match. Um, yeah, I guess I think I had it a little higher. I'll go one and a half, but it was. It was yeah, it was what it was. But uh, Victoria comes out after the match. She hits the widow's peak on Jackie. Trish comes out for the save. But I just my issue with all this is, um, so they set up that it's going to be a triple threat at the pay-per-view. It's going to be Jackie versus Trish versus Victoria. I just don't get why they've overcomplicated this feud It's with by inserting Jackie and Stevie and all this other bullshit inside of it. Like, you had a perfectly good, they had a banger match at uh, Survivor Series. Like, why not just let them continue their feud? I don't, it's like they just can't, they can't keep their hands out of these women's feuds without trying to, it's like you could tell they don't have confidence in it because they just constantly feel the need to like overcomplicate it and add other people in and not just let them have a just normal, like one-on-one feud between two characters that have are good foils for each other. I just don't understand. Why do we have to muddy everything up all the time? I don't get it, Tyler. Yeah, I I don't know what role Jackie played in this, really. Yeah, like she was literally just inserted last week for whatever reason. Like, you're thinking she's just going to be father for Victoria, and now she's in the pay-per-view. I don't know. I don't I don't get it. It's strange to me. But And it's also setting us up for, again, December pay-per-view. A lot of kind of multi-person, multi-team, triple threat, four-way tag a lot of that kind of stuff, which could get a little, you know, sometimes makes for a messy show when you have a little bit too much of that stuff happening. Yep. But, I don't know what right. happens, but I, I would wager right now that Jackie probably takes the fall. Right. That would make sense. All right, but we'll continue on. We have uh, Terry uh, is backstage talking to Jeff Hardy about facing Triple H tonight. So I guess that's maybe his... um his reward for his uh, antics outside of the ring. Uh, she compares him to HBK. Jeff says if he can channel some HBK, he'll be in good shape. Sean runs into the interview out of nowhere and says, don't talk like he's dead. He's still around. Don't act like he's ancient. Jeff asks for some advice and says, um, Sean tells him to take advantage of Triple H's overconfidence. And Jeff tells him that if that uh, two out of three falls match gets to the ladder match, ask him for some advice. So kind of being a little cocky, but I don't know. I thought Jeff kind of looked like a goober in this. Like he looked very like, um, I don't know. He, I don't know how to say it. Like him asking for the advice and all, he was a little bit too like a little kid looking up to Shawn Michaels. Like I know what they were going for, but I just thought it made Jeff look like kind of a chump. I mean, Jeff should kind of be like, I mean, he's been through a lot of stuff. He's been, he's a bit like, he's not like a rookie who just came out of tough enough or something. Like he's been around for a while. It's weird for him to be like, so, oh, shucks, it's my hero, Sean. I don't know, it's weird. Oh, just you wait. and We'll see if Jeff Hardy has earned more than rookie status. Okay. 
Yeah, this interview was sort of short as it was, and it wasn't very consequential, but uh, I don't think Sean came across all that great either, as he mm-hmm. he actually told Jeff that he'll take a wampin' and a stompin', but sooner yeah. or later, Triple H gets too full of himself so you can beat him. And I'm reminded of the old Scott Keith line that that's a sheet comment that's not supposed to be a sheet comment, except for the you can beat him part. Triple H gets too full of himself, so there's no way in hell you'll ever beat him. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's... uh. Yeah, neither guy. Yeah, Sean doing some corny lines. Not, not the best from either guy here. Yeah. But, all right, we'll head to our next match, which is going to be um, Batista is going to be facing RVD here. So kind of a cool match. Cool. Um, I like uh, as I'm covering this stuff, I, I call them cool hindsight matches. Like maybe in the moment they didn't seem like you know that big of a deal, but now this, you know, this could be like a dream match on paper, like Batista in his prime. But this is. Real, real early Batista versus RVD. But anyway, it's a fun match. It is not the most complicated match or it doesn't get a whole lot of time. But it is, it's fun because it's just RVD bumping all over, like for Batista, which is awesome. So he makes Batista look great. He gets a few kind of little hope spots in here. But it's, it's honestly mostly a squash until Kane runs in for the DQ, um, kind of stemming from the the ongoing conflict between he and Batista. So he ends up running for the DQ, but I mean, I enjoyed it for what it was. And I thought Rob did a great job making Batista look good. But the bummer part of this is that it just reminds you of how ice cold Rob is. Like he's just fodder at this point. Like he's just thrown in here with Batista to get knocked around. So Kane can make the run in and, you know, maybe we're, they kind of maybe allude to, um, that he and, and RVD are going to, that he's going to align with Kane. RVD and Kane are going to align. But just in this moment, I was just thinking, man, how far has RVD fallen where he's just kind of fodder for this new guy? But as a match, it was a star. I, I would have started half. It was entertaining for how quick it was. But man, I just, I want so much more for RVD here. It's it's a bummer. Yeah. So I, I wanted to go a gentleman's too, but I think you're, you're closer to being right. I'll, I will, do my power of positivity, which I am borderline shocked that I'm higher than you on some of these things, some of the startings, but I'll go 1.75. Right. You know, and I I knew this wouldn't have a clean finish, and maybe that was kind of looking at it from 2022, because you have these two big stars, or, or as much of a star as RVD is at this time, and I know what Batista becomes, but, but it just it had that look, and you know, you know, this one's not in ending clean, but um, I don't know. And, and and that's okay in and of itself, but we're getting pretty deep into the show here, and it needs some help. And we'll mm-hmm. just have to see how what form that may come or may not come in. So, Right. We've gotten like five matches or something, and none of them are more than about, you know, three minutes long or of any real consequence or – you know, which is the, the normal problem you have on Raw. They just, they there's a lot of filler, and it's not always entertaining filler, is what I, I find myself saying a lot. And we're kind of running into that on this one too. So, but um, but Chief Morley confronts uh, Kane backstage for ruining the match. So Chief Morley picking his spots as to what he's okay with people messing up. Uh, Kane then mocks him by doing the the Val Venus grind move, which is pretty funny. But uh, yeah. As a punishment, Kane is going to get three-minute warning later. So he'll have to face Rosie and Jamal, I believe. Well, actually, is it? 
I guess we'll see. But three-minute warning in some form. He'll face them later. And Kane responds by saying it sucks to be three-minute warning. So we still got that uh, cocky kind of goofy Kane going a little bit here. But that will be Kane's punishment later. Yeah, so mm-hmm. <laughs> Kane does the hip swivel. And instead of, hello, ladies, hello, Morley. And for me, that was the <laughs> highlight of the night so far on Raw. That yeah, popped me right. big. I, he really did have his timing down. So it was. <laughs> I did not see that one coming, and he, he got me on that. The Chief Morley thing is just so strange. Like, it's not like I forgot about it, but it's just, what a strange turn. Like, to have Val Venus as this, like, secondary authority figure, it's just odd. And, anyway. <laughs> and I, I guess I will be interested in watching as you go through it, because I, I remember watching it at the time thinking, okay, something's going to happen here somewhere. Like, they're going to explain this, and figure out what, you know, what does this mean? Why are they doing this? If they did, I, I don't recall. So I look forward to your <laughs> investigations. Yeah. We shall see. All right. Uh, <laughs> probably not going to um, up the match Andy here at all, because we're going to get the, uh, the old tough enough gang is going to try it out. Like they do every week for what's probably going to be like a three minute match. Um, this week we get uh, Al and the boy wonder Maven. Al Snow, that is, not Al Wilson, um, and Maven. And they're going to be facing Chris Nowinski and D'Lo Brown, who's just thrown in here for whatever reason. I guess he's just putzing around backstage, and Nowinski need a partner. Um, I noted that this, from when Ryan Gray was on, I called this the uh, the Ryan Gray special because this seems like it is like a heat main event. This looks straight out of Sunday Night Heat. But a good dropkick spot by Maven, um, hidden Chris uh, Nowinski midair. I thought that was good. That's like the one thing everybody remembers Maven for besides Undertaker stuff is his drop kicks. It's just a real basic tag match with no real energy or anything interesting. It's not really bad. It just has absolutely no like juice to it. There's nothing. The crowd doesn't care. They're not really doing anything exciting in the match. Uh, D'Lo ends up winning with the lowdown, which I always like the lowdown. It's a cool move. I like D'Lo well enough. I don't know how much I like 2002 D'Lo, but anyway, I went uh, I went a star and a half on it. It was really nothing offensive, but just kind of boring. Yeah, I also went a star and a half, and my first note was, what the hell is this doing on my TV? <laughs> um, and I, I thought Maven and Snow showed some okay tag team chemistry early uh, before the heels take over on Maven, and then I just don't care much about plain old generic Maven. I mean, he just right. never quite had that connection past the one spot in the Rumble where he got the Undertaker out and promptly got murdered, and he threw a nice drop kick. So, and I also had that I forgot that D'Lo existed. Um, I assume I meant I forgot he was employed. I did remember he was a human <laughs> that worked for WWE in better days, but yeah, that's it. Yeah, I should mention too. I said it was the Ryan Gray special meet. I, I believe it actually was at Angle. Like, not only does this seem like a heat match, I think it stems from something that happened on Heat. They said on commentary, like I don't remember what, but some hot angle they were running on Heat has uh, made its way to Raw. <laughs> anyway, well, how could it not be with these four uh, just you know, charismatic but, enigmas here? So. Yeah. Tough the enough. It's like. Charisma. The kiss of death, man. None of those tough enough guys could ever overcome tough enough. Anyway. 
All right. We have Booker. He uh, he tells Goldust backstage that he's the best partner he's ever had, which I was like, damn, kind of bearing his own brother there. This, uh throwing Stevie Ray under the bus there, saying Goldust is the best partner ever. They were tag team partners yeah, for like I, years. I had, a note, <laughs> I had a note that it was single tears running down Stevie Ray's cheek. So <laughs> Anyway, uh, Goldust is happy about this. He says, let's do it. And tells Booker, can you dig that? And um, like I said, I enjoyed this. I like Booker T coming back and kind of taking his buddy's side. It's been a cool little story with them, even if it's a little disjointed, like, you know, Booker T thinking Goldust is a freak, then kind of knowing he's a freak, but then like accepting him for it. And now he's like his buddy and like his partner, um, tag team partner, I should say. But um, like I said earlier, it's a cool angle. It's just, and I feel like it really could have built some steam because the crowd does love these guys and they are really good. They're cool personalities, but it would just would have hit so much harder if one, they wouldn't have like had Booker T kind of ditch him for a while for the most part and kind of go away from the tag stuff. And if they didn't wait till literally the last show before the pay-per-view to start building this angle, like it should, it could have been much more, you know, if they would have started building this a lot more, it would make the, it would make the payoff maybe a lot better, but you know, it's still fine. Yeah. And uh, I may have benefited by, you know, just watching this episode because I thought it came across mm-hmm. really well. I thought it was right. really well done. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're right. It could have been a more drawn out angle. Um, I'm not sure exactly where Goldust went after he said he was going to go talk to Bischoff a half hour ago, uh, but and maybe he just got lost running around, you know, around the building. So like Jericho used to do on his entrance when he tried to do the Goldberg entrance and he go the wrong right. way. But yeah. uh, but I thought Booker's promo here was really really good. He tells that Goldust he's some kind of sick weirdo gold freak, but every time that Booker needed him, every time his back was against the wall. Goldie was there, uh, and uh, he says you can walk in and tell Bischoff that you quit, or you can walk into Armageddon with Booker and become tag champs. Maybe do that. Goldust does the now. Can you dig that sucker? And and Booker does the Goldust bite thing that I I don't know how to say it other than that. I assume everyone knows what I'm talking about. But. And then they, if I my notes were correct, it looked to me like they just walked off in opposite direction. So I'm not sure what was going on. There, right. but uh, but I thought Booker showed really good fire and had a really good promo here, and it it really paid off the opening match nicely. So I'm a lot more understanding. I I was probably a little low on that match, but I stuck with my my real time match ratings. I I feel like that's what it was as a as a match, mm-hmm. but telling the greater story, it was better than that. If that makes any sense. Yeah, and don't get me wrong. Like I really do like that. I guess I'm thinking like my brain is like in a perfect world. Like, what is the, uh, that from like 97 in a perfect world, uh, whatever that, from <laughs> that opened, but yeah, it's like in a perfect world. I wish they would have more time to build them. as is. It's still really good. Like, um, and, and to be fair to them, they haven't really talked about it, but they have lost matches and it's kind of always been Goldust taking the pin. Maybe not always really his fault, but he is kind of always the fall guy. So it does make sense. They have built it long-term in that sense. They just haven't really had them kind of speak about it. So, you know, yeah, I think of, you know, put it this way, it's a lot more creative than a lot of the, the literal nothing they've been doing with the tag division for a while. So um, it's good in that sense, but um, we will go to uh, Jeff Hardy. He's going to be facing triple H and angry triple H since he lost his title. 
Um, and we'll see how this goes. You would think this could be maybe a sneaky good match, but uh, not really because uh, we get the methodical working over with the strikes of the backbreakers by Triple H. Jeff makes a slight attempt at a comeback, but he just gets crushed with two pedigrees. Um, <laughs> I put my notes that this could have been interesting, but it wasn't. Like it could have easily been, you know, maybe more out of the Undertaker Jeff Hardy book, but it's like they don't. You know, they don't think highly enough for Jeff Hardy to really give him that kind of billing here. So he essentially gets squashed by Triple H. I just want to star and a half on it. Kind of a bummer because I, I do think they could have had a fun match. But unfortunately, like a lot of these Triple H Raw matches, they can look like they would be fun on paper, but they end up just kind of being blah. And this was one of them. Oh, you were kinder to this than I was. So this <laughs> did right. not hit. So in my... I should have known, my first note is, why is it so early in the night? And that really should have told me what was about to go on. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, Jeff gets a very, very quick flurry, uh, which makes his fans squeal, uh, presumably including the fan with a sign that says, all she wants for Christmas is Jeff Hardy. And <laughs> I just, every time I see him, I always think that I did not then, now, nor ever understand the appeal of Jeff Hardy and what I call his glow stick sex appeal. I do not get it, but whatever, everybody, do your thing. But but I do think Jeff could have had a good match here, which we desperately needed on this show. I thought, and I guess your uh, your news and notes early that he was, he was in the doghouse, and I knew that around this time he kind of got in trouble a little bit. But, and that's all well and good if you're WWE and you want to show him a message, but as someone who watches it, as a fan, I don't give a damn about any of that stuff. I don't want it on my TV. It screws up the, the program. To me, this is, Jeff is like the perfect guy that could have had a good match with Triple H. Triple H should win. He, you know, he's at a higher level. I don't have a problem with that, but I have to come fuck this shit, there's no need for this to be a glorified squash. But he's exactly the kind of opponent you could have a good match with, because he's he's semi-believable. He's over. Again, there's somebody that's always squealing every time he takes his shirt off, whatever. (laughs) Uh, He can work that kind of match. The crowd would be behind any help spots, but just like, fuck it, let's squash him. It's it's not like this show needs a good match or anything. So I went a half-star. Yeah, I can't blame you. Like, I, the comparison I make is, like, a lot of these guys, like RVD, Jeff Hardy, these are all guys that Undertaker fought earlier in the year on Raw and had, like, really awesome matches with them. Like, especially, like, the RVD Undertaker stuff is, like, super, like, most of those matches I would consider, like, kind of hidden gems because they were all awesome. I mean, obviously you have the, the Jeff Hardy ladder match with Taker that's really good. So I, that's what I think of. It's, like, all these guys, Taker kind of, you know, went out there and had good matches with them. But it seems like when Triple H goes in, for one reason or another, maybe it's just, you know, what the company's wanting to do or is it Triple H, whatever, all the factors involved, it just ends up kind of falling flat. And this is just another one that does the same thing. I mean, yeah. it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, Undertaker's not always known for bringing the best out sure. of people, but this is just really bad stuff on mm-hmm. Triple H's part. And, and maybe, yeah, maybe the company's telling him, you know, but even if you wanted to do that, there are better ways to do it than this. Like, have him hit him with a weapon, leave him bleeding or what, something. He needs to cheat somehow or something. He's still a heel. Like he, 
and he won't ever he won't be a monster heel he won't be he definitely won't be a chicken shit heel or show any weakness he just kind of doesn't really have the offense to be like this devastating monster he just kind of hits his move mm-hmm. and you've got to sell it like you're dead and it's because he's just so good and so great and and you know, I won't talk much more about that because we can move on to the continuation of this segment where someone else will do that for me. So if you want to take it from there, you can. I've, right. I've bitched enough, but I'll probably bitch more. So. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. I understand. All right. So uh, after the match, uh, Flair and Triple H uh, double team Hardy beat them down. Sean heads to the ramp and uh, gets them to turn their attention away from him. So kind of saving him. Um, uh, Flair grabs the mic and says that he's been wanting to say something to Sean for a long time. Uh, he's like, Triple H, I want to talk trip. Wait, what is he? He says, uh, he calls him Triple, which was strange. Triple, I want to talk to him. Give me the mic. I want to talk to him, Triple. It's odd to call him Triple. But, um, so he, Flair grabs the mic. He says, uh, he's speaking Sean directly. He says, they never crossed paths. He says, one day he was in an airport or something like that. And someone told him he wasn't the man anymore. Sean Michaels is. He's the showstopper, not the the showstopper, not the rocker. He was the best re, re, that he was the best wrestler alive. And at that moment, Flair, after seeing him, had to concede that he was no longer the man. That Shawn Michaels was the man. And just like Flair did, he says that Shawn needs to do the same thing: look in the mirror and realize that his time has passed, and he needs to pass the torch to the man, Triple H. So, um, I, you know, I'm I'm hitting the the main points of this, but this was kind of like out of nowhere like a great promo i really enjoyed this a lot like it has a lot more like i said this feud at least in its current form after SummerSlam, has kind of been run on fumes a bit not a lot of juice to it and i felt like flair did more for them than what they've been doing in the last few me- weeks just with the kind of generic stare downs and beat downs and stuff like kind of bringing their history into it and really trying to push that Sean's like the old man here and needs to kind of pack it in. Like he had this one little good story coming back and winning the title, but it's, it's not going to last. He needs to just admit that he's, you know, that it's triple H's time now and, and et cetera, et cetera. But um, yeah, like I liked how he brought all that into it. He had good flair delivery, maybe not, you know, at, on the level of his prime, but it was just kind of like, I don't know. And it just felt natural. It didn't feel like he was, you know, being told what to say or anything. He just went in there and was like, look, let me cut a promo to kind of add some juice to this feud between these two guys. And it was, it was awesome stuff. I don't know. I don't know if you enjoyed it, but um, I was pleasantly surprised by this. So I did, I, I have some kind of some mixed feelings on this one because I do agree mm-hmm. that uh, Nate was on fire. He was making it real. He was talking about, and it really does resonate when Ric Flair used to be the man and Shawn Michaels took that mantle over. And I don't know that you don't have to agree with that. I know many people don't. Um, and right. I would still think that Ric Flair is greater than Shawn Michaels. And, and I'm a Shawn fan. I like Shawn. But that that seems very real. And Flair had a similar story in his book. Uh, and then when he gets to and saying there's a new man in town and he means Triple H, I'm like, well... I still do appreciate the, the passion that Flair's got, and he's he's helping pump that up. But that's where I think most people kind of go, well, now hold on, because you're sort of crossing over there. You're talking about in-ring skill when it was Flair versus Sean, and now Triple H, is a, he's the best because he's always been the champ, and he always wins. I mean, you can't – there's no one saying that he's can work like, uh, like Sean or Flair. So I don't know. That's just maybe I'm overthinking that a little bit, but 
Um, but I, I did think Flair had a great promo, but it was basically just kind of uh, kissing Triple H's ass, saying he's the best and no one can possibly be competitive with him. And then what I didn't really like is Sean just making no rebuttal and just walking away, no mm-hmm. attack, nothing. He, he just kind of looks like a bitch. But, and then I said, I'm sure he'll get his revenge at, at Armageddon. But again, some of these are my notes watching, you know, in real time. So, so I might, you know, that may change a little bit based on what may, may or may not come later. Right. And that part too is kind of like, it's kind of like you see it coming, you know, it's going to come down to him putting over Triple H, which I guess in the, in the, you know, where they are, like he's Triple H's manager pretty much. So it kind of made sense in that form. But um, yeah, you know, you know, he's going to have to put over like a uh, Triple H is the greatest, which is funny because I don't even know how much older <laughs> Sean is than Triple H. I don't feel like there's a huge age difference there, but um, I, all this, this stuff comparing him and Sean, I thought was really cool. Like, I just like that he put in perspective that maybe, I just like that they're not, for, they're not, like, they're not shying away from put, like, getting across that Sean was retired for four years and that he's still, like, trying to prove that he still has it or does he still have it or is he going to go, is, like, every last match going to be, every next match going to be his last because of his injuries and all that sort of stuff. Like I at least like that. They're not just pretending like, well, Sean's back. He's all good. No big deal. Like they're at least acknowledging it, which is cool. Well, and at this point, I don't think the general feeling wasn't that Sean was back full time. Mm-hmm. It was, he may just go back into retirement at any time or, or whatever. There was definitely some uncertainty there. Right. All right. But uh, like you said, Triple H says he's going to have to find the mirror because he's taking the title back. He's the man. And like you said, Sean walks away silently, which seems a bit strange and not the HBK that we would know, at least from the past. So we'll see how that plays out. Like you said, Tyler, we'll probably see a bit more later. But before that, we're going to get to see Kane face a three minute warning. So um, this is supposed to be his punishment. Um, But it ends up not really being that way because, um, you know, they kind of go back and forth on Kane for a while, working him over as he I can't really get much of an advantage. But um, then he just kind of plows through him. He ends up choke slamming Jamal, picking up the win. Um, I went a star because to me it was kind of just Kane working to come back and getting over and showing that he's a monster. So, um, yeah, and it was it is strange with all this. Another big takeaway from this match, because like I said, the match itself, like a lot of these on the show, are, it just wasn't a whole lot of there there. Um, I get that not everyone could be a star, and apparently the backstage stuff is playing into this too. But they they just seem like they've been like kind of actively bad on Raw of building up new people. And I'm not saying everybody needs to be pushed to the moon and three minute warning should be the tag champs, but like they really did a good job of building them up with all the beatdowns and stuff when they debuted. And then once they started working regular matches, like they just like nobodies now. All the hype and everything, and now they're just like losing the cane in a handicap match is just it's real strange like they've just kind of fallen quickly when they seem like they were going to be like you know one of the like compared to smackdown where they're trying to like push new guys and like you know build them up a bit it just seems like a lot of guys on raw just floundering and three minute warning just seem like such an afterthought now oh yeah i mean i went a half star on this as well because i had the booking on this show blows. Why would you beat Three Minute Warning in a handicap mm-hmm. match? Uh, and okay, I guess your your notes earlier probably explain why. Because was it 
Jamal or mm-hmm. that was in some kind of trouble and taken off. Right. Okay. I mean, but but even then, why have him? Why have it be a handicap match and mm-hmm. then have him lose? Just have him have it be a singles match and have King destroy him, or have it be a tag match. Have RVD and Kane in a tag match and find somebody for Batista to squash. It wouldn't have changed that show at all. Uh, it just, you know, I just thought this match really hurts three minutes warning and they've fallen, fallen fast. And it doesn't really set anything up for the pay-per-view. And again, I, I guess it makes more sense if you're punishing someone, but you're punishing your viewers too. Like it doesn't, I don't understand why you do that on your TV like that. And, and, uh, so Rossi is still a character here. I mean, get him out of that match then and just have Kane murder Jamal, you know, and then that take, can take him off TV or whatever. I don't know. I just, I want to have Star. At the time, I certainly, at the time I was watching this, I certainly didn't understand what was going on and didn't understand why on earth you would do that. Yeah, it's wild. Like, you think when they debut, you're like, man, these guys might be like these dominant heel, this dominant heel tag team, and you have a face team that's trying to, like, you know, chase them or something or anything. But now it's like within a few months, they're just like nobodies. They're just fodder. I mean, I guess you want to, you're trying to put over Kane and make him look good, but there's got to be different ways to do that. Yeah, I mean, you have plenty of, <laughs> plenty of Jamokes on Raw that Kane could be squashing. Like, bring out your uh, Tommy Dreamers or whoever and let them destroy them. I mean, whatever just strange but um so i guess they do try and give him a little bit after as they kind of jump came at kane after the match but rvd comes out to make the save kane blasts rosie in the head with a chair and jamal eats a van terminator so even in the post-match segment they end up getting their shit pushed in here too so just you know just getting squashed pretty much van terminator looked good though as it always does yeah and i kind of uh, figured in the after match Beat down, mm-hmm. gone wrong. Where you know RVD and Kane stand tall, and yeah, the Van Van Terminator looked good. All right, a scantily clad Stacy is decorating her Christmas uh, <laughs> decorating Christmas balls. Um, uh, Tess is upset because um, he doesn't like that they are blue, which insinuate there's blue balls. Um, she says they look great on the tree or in her hands, and then they kind of kiss. Just I don't know, just a reason to make. Testicle jokes, honestly, was the whole purpose of this segment. Really, not much more. Well, and also to put Stacy in a bikini and a Santa outfit. So. Correct. You were right hey, on that one. Hey, it's not the worst segment on this show. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. But we are interrupted with RN. Uh, Randy is at the New York Stock Exchange. Like, this one, like, killed me. Like, just it just felt so out of nowhere that he's just randomly at the New York Stock Exchange and like I was dying as he was like awkwardly talking to all these stockbrokers, like asking them about this and they're like answering him. I don't know. I was just I enjoyed the hell of this. And then at the end he just says, Merry Orton Christmas. It was um another fantastic Randy News um update here. But him talking to the stockbroker, like their reactions to him, like they didn't really know what to say. Like, I forget what he asked. He was asking these weird things. Like, I think he asked him, like, um, would you buy stock in me or something like that? I don't know. It was great. Uh, it was great. He asked someone to keep him in his prayers. So I <laughs> like that. I just think this is great. These R&Ns are one of the best things Orton's done in his long and somewhat distinguished career. I just, right. I, you know, it, it's great to re- look back on these. Yeah, it's. 
I think too, it stands out on raw where a lot of this stuff just seems so kind of, I don't know, like uninspired, I guess it just seems so weird and unique. Like it at least feels like they're trying something different and new and weird, which I give them credit for. All right. Um, we, we run down the Armageddon card. I'll, I'll get more into it. Um, we've kind of gone through them as the show goes on, but I will say, I'm not saying the show is necessarily going to be bad, but it definitely has big December pay-per-view energy going on. Lots of multi-band matches, not really the strongest feud. A lot of things kind of being put together on this last show to kind of fill out the card the week before the pay-per-view. It just feels, it has that, you know, which could still end up being a good show, actual show, but as far as the build to it, it definitely feels like a December pay-per-view. Yeah, I remembered nothing about it at all, so I had to yeah had to look up the card as I was watching the show. and thought that would maybe be good to good to know, but I had very little recall. I honestly forgot that it was co-branded. In my mind, I felt like I remembered this being like the the first Raw exclusive or something because I guess because that two out of three falls is such a huge part of it that I kind of just figured it was a Raw show because I was like, how many more matches do they even have on the show? But yeah, co-branded, so. All right. But uh, Victoria and Jericho tell us that they both want to put Trish to a table, um, and Sean tells Flair he'll be in the parking lot later and to meet him. So see what happens with that. But we'll go to our main event, which is going to be the uh, six-person intergender um, tag team tables match. Go ahead with that. So they start this off. So it's going to be Trish and the Dudley boys versus Jericho, Victoria, and Christian. Uh, we were told that Spike is not going to be here because he's still recovering for whatever heinous bump he took the previous week like he does every week. Uh, so they start off by tagging, which I thought was real strange given it's a tables match. Like they're going with like a traditional tag, tag uh, style. Odd break as the uh, as Bubble was about to powerbomb Victoria through the table and they cut the commercial. So Really ill-timed break there. We come back, and apparently she made it through. Uh, Victoria lays some stuff in on Bubba, which I thought was pretty cool. It made her look like a, you know, like a beast to be able to hang in there with Bubba. I thought Bubba's the most impressive, but you get the idea. Uh, Bubba gets triple teamed by the heels, and they finally get the tables out. But the the wood is out, but it is stationary. As uh, Devon gets the hot tag, as the table's just sitting there, they clean house, and Victoria's left with the Dudleys, who look to double powerbomb her until Stevie comes out to make the save. They try to suplex Bubba, but Spike shows up and moves the table out of the way to save the Dudleys. Of course, Spike gets launched out over the top like he always does and takes a vicious bump to the outside. Uh, now Lance Storm comes out. Booker T and Golda show up. All the participants from the... Um, from the uh, four-team elimination tag at Armageddon show up. It just all kind of devolves from here. Jericho beheads Trish and uh, with a clothesline looks to send her for the ride through the table. Booker T comes in and saves. Victoria goes up and Trish and the Dudleys powerbomb her through the table for the win. Um, I thought it was pretty fun chaos, even though it did, even though it did kind of completely devolve by the end with all the run-ins and craziness. And it was just kind of put together sort of strange. Um, like where they kind of worked it as just a normal tag match doing tags and stuff. It just felt like a normal tag and then bring the tables in at the end, which was a little strange, but um, all in all, I thought it was entertaining enough despite the kind of messiness of it all. So I ended up going uh, two and a half. It was fine, but nothing too special for me, Tyler. Yeah, I went 2.75. I think I was having a little 
guilt, uh, star rating guilt, not not throwing enough snowflakes around at this point. And I kept thinking there's there's got to be something of note on here. <laughs> right. So, uh, and I do think this was match of the night. The opener was fine as well. Um, so um, at the beginning, of course, King was his usual self and says, "We'll have puppies and wood," as if he ever doesn't have <laughs> wood when there's puppies, or or at least he wants us to think he does with no pharmaceutical help. Uh, did Bubba call Christian a sissy berry in here? Because I I thought I heard that. That's what I heard, and I have no idea if that was accurate. But uh, right. and, and if so, I does that mean someone? <laughs> I, I didn't hear it. I didn't hear it, but um, it sounds okay. like some dumb shit he would say. It does sound like a bubble line, <laughs> and and I hope that means somebody with just this dwarpy look that he because he definitely needs to change everything. And I I didn't recall that he stuck with it this long. I, I do remember people talking about it forever, but it's just very jarring when you look back. So, mm-hmm. And I had the same note about the tag rules applying. That didn't make sense to me, uh, especially you know, so quite a bit after that, the announcers make note that this is no DQ, so I'm like, well, why in the hell were they making tags to begin with then? But, but I did think there was good action uh, and all the chaos at the end. I, I thought it helped and didn't hurt so. So I went two and three quarters. Yep. Totally fine. Kind of gets over what the, um, kind of gets over the pay-per-view match that's going to happen. And um, yeah, a fine way, if not the most exciting main event. Yeah. I, I say exciting. Like the match itself was fun, but you know, not the most, you know, this is not like um, your world champion or anything, but we will see that now as we, um, we head to the parking lot now for our main event, <laughs> our main event, non-match segment. Sean um, meets a blast flare and Triple H with a shovel backstage as they're looking for him in the parking lot. He um, throws him like in a, I guess it was like a dumpster or like a storage container thing or something. He dies off of production truck and hits the uh, elbow while screaming. How's that for heart? Because, um, you know, uh, I, they called him out earlier for not having any heart when he kind of just walked away silently. Uh, this was fine. It just, I don't think it landed how they wanted to. It just, like I said earlier, it just, it's just tough to have this kind of match after you had that SummerSlam match that was so hot and was such a big deal. Like you said, it's like, like you're fighting against yourself because that was such a big deal. The match was like crazy, insane, and violent and everything. It's just, it's hard to live up to that. And it kind of just feels like they're going through the motions with this stuff, trying to make it seem like it's a big deal and that it's a hot feud. But they've kind of they've like it's like they already shut their load at SummerSlam, and it's hard to kind of recapture that. And so, even with Sean diving off the truck, I mean, and doing all this stuff, it just doesn't have the same doesn't have the same oomph that the uh, SummerSlam stuff had. Yeah, um, yeah, he dives off the truck right into a dumpster, and and then he tries to get the the promo, and I think. Some of it worked and some of it did. He says, how dare you mistake my humility for weakness? Mm-hmm. Um, and he says that he's, it will be the heartbreak kid, the showstopper, because he can. He still can. And I, that was the line that Sean had hit in one of his, his previous runs. You know, he did something because he could. So I get what they were going for, but I kind of feel like the acting was just a bit too cheesy by maybe, mm-hmm. maybe mid-range on the Sean overacting scale. Um, and it didn't help that he was covered in garbage at the time. Um, <laughs> right. I think it helped a little bit 
after the previous segment where he just walked away and, and looked like a bitch, but but just a little bit. I mean, I, I feel like I would have rather he just kind of laughed it off or not given it any thought at all, because uh, I mean, I, there, there's just kind of this pattern of everyone who's a Triple H opponent has to like be really hurt or whatever if they Triple H says mean things about him or Ric Flair on Triple H's behalf says that you don't have or you don't have this oh god I better take that I better really listen to that because they said it I have to really sell that and it just I mean you saw it with Kane and you saw it you know you've just seen it over and over and I just feel like kind of laughing off would have been a little bit of a better play and look nobody's gonna cry any tears for Shawn Michaels not being made to look the best. He's, you know, he's mm-hmm. far from the worst offense, and and he probably, you know, is just as guilty of that at certain times. So I'm not trying to do that. I'm just making note that this is quite a pattern, and I I see that as as I listen to your podcast every you know every time it comes out, you can just you can see it, and it's things we've talked about for a long time, and. And if you aren't watching it regularly or listening to it or whatever, you think, oh, you know what, maybe it, it probably wasn't as bad as I think. And then you, you watch stuff and go, it's pretty bad. I mean, right. you know, I start to think of, uh, you know, the GWWE revisiting revisiting the GWWE list. These are, these are the kinds of things that will play into my evaluation of, of one Mr. H here, so... I don't know. That's just these are just things that I kind of feel like were going on right. here. Yeah. The uh, the last thing I'll say is that I don't think it made it look especially brutal too. That when he jumped in that trash can thing, it just sounded like a big pillow. That also, you know, didn't. And like like considering, like I said, the SummerSlam feud, you had Sean getting thrown through the car window and bleeding everywhere, and it was like intense and violent. And now it's like. He jumped off a truck into like a big <laughs> pillow, basically. It's just, it doesn't hit the same. But uh, that wraps up Raw. So uh, I think we probably both agreed, not the strongest Raw you're ever going to see. I ended up going four out of 10 on it, just kind of below average, nothing too great. A couple decent matches, a little bit of build for the pay per view, but nothing really to write home about. It just feels like since SummerSlam, like they kind of refocused with that chamber match and they kind of injected some life in, but now they've hit kind of this December doldrum. They, they just seem to be meandering a little bit and it kind of shows in the TV. Yeah. I also went for, and I was preparing and, and asking myself, am, am I willing to go lower mm-hmm. uh, at various points? But it, and the reason I, I didn't where I settled on four is because, um, uh, I felt like I was a little low on the opening match, which got redeemed by the story they told him with Booker's promo. Um, I also give it a little bit of points for Kane doing the hello, Morley. (laughs) I'm still enjoying that. Uh, And then the closing beatdown, I didn't love. I I thought it it helped uh, the promo and Sean just logging out just a little. It redeemed it just enough to get to, to raise this raw up to a four rating. Gotcha. All right. We'll see how SmackDown fairs will roll on. It'll be the uh, December 12th, 2002 SmackDown live from Atlanta. So um, 
it always kind of interests me when SmackDown gets like a, a big city because typically I feel like SmackDown usually is kind of like the B town. <laughs> Whether like I don't know how else to say it. Like Raw's in Atlanta, and then SmackDown will be in like I don't know. It's like uh, Marietta, Georgia, or something like that. You know, like it'll be like nearby, but not quite the same. So it's kind of interesting when SmackDown is maybe in a bigger city than Raw. That always intrigues me, like to see if that plays into the show. But anyway, um, this intro package with Dawn and Tori, my goodness, just full on like uh, Days of Our Lives material here. Like that in a kind of can't be fun though. I I haven't hated this as ridiculous as it is. It's like at least can't be kind of fun, entertaining. So uh, just a, a really intricate package to um, <laughs> to catch you up on the Dawn and Tory stuff, uh, Tyler. In case you haven't been following. Yeah, it it was great to see all the uh, twists and turns and and uh, of this intricate story. Um, but that said, I'm I'm kind of like you, Jake. I I don't mind wrestle crap. In fact, I would far rather see something that is sometimes actively terrible because that can be entertaining than just something that's just mm-hmm. dull. So, mm-hmm. Right. All right, so um, our first match may fit, fit that description because we're going to have B-squared versus Rikishi. Um, a funny moment here as um, Taz, um, is on, as always, is on fire on this show, but um, he gets on Cole because Cole thinks that... Um, so B-squared has like a hat on, like I guess like almost like an L Cool J kind of style hat. Um, I forget what, what it's called, but anyway, um, he, Cole thinks that that's bling bling. So he like thinks the hat is bling bling, which I don't know if they were like Cole, the characters trying to act like a dork or if he legitimately didn't know, it wouldn't shock me. But Taz is like, um, <laughs> is just like on him because he thinks bling bling is a hat, which was funny. Uh, Rikishi is just handling B with his, uh, normal stuff. The Samoan drop, the sidekick, all his kind of typical Rikishi, uh, stuff. Cena ends up interfering because, of course, he's with B-squared, allowing a low blow um, while B distracts the ref. He lays out Rikishi with a chain, and that allows B-squared to pick up the win and to continue to build this feud between Cena and Rikishi with B-squared just being the intermediary. So, um, you know, it was not much of a match. It was more just to um, have Cena interfere, but the match itself was really nothing. I ended up going a star on it. Yeah, uh I did the same. Um, so I was about to type that Cena was the opponent, and I was quite disappointed. Um, <laughs> B two B. Did they actually call him B squared? Because I think I thought they were saying B two, but because I I typed, I think B squared would be more apropos because he definitely is. You know, him trying to be cool definitely he was. Yeah, square. I, I want to say he was beast. I, want to say they say b square but i could be maybe i'm punching it up for him because it just why would you not call him that but right. or maybe it's a well, thing where i want to say cena calls on that maybe they don't on commentary but cena calls him b square it could be yeah that would make sense um and you know i i went to school with people if they had the same initial we would call them we called one guy j cubed because he all three of his names started with a j we were pretty <laughs> creative like that so right uh he would, and B-Square would soon be, if, spoiler alert, if there's anyone who gives a shit about uh, what Bull Buchanan was called in 2002, stop listening now, and I know there could be none of you, but he will soon be Bling Bling Buchanan. So Cole was probably <laughs> trying to lay that foundation. And it, 
it's pretty appropriate he would do it with a hat. So you're talking about a hat instead of actual bling. Yeah. Sure. Anyway, yeah, I went a star, said there was nothing to the match. Yeah, it's just to keep pushing her Kishi and Cena, not much more. All right, we see uh, Tori is speaking with her, I guess it's like a stylist or makeup artist or something backstage, and saying that um, the stylist tells her that Dawn has been spreading some nasty rumors about what happened in the hotel. Taz says he has a scoop and says that it's hot. It's hot, cold. So building the uh, the rumors here, the uh, intrigue as to what happened in that hotel room. Um, yeah, so my my uh-huh. question was, because Tori seems surprised that like people are staring at her and, and people would be talking about the rumors. Was the cameraman that was at the hotel? Because <laughs> did she not find that a little odd and think, well, I mean, surely she's not like, ah, he's taping it for SmackDown, but shit, nobody watches that anyway. You know? That was a, that was a very, very, um, it was a remote camera with a very intricate robotic um, control for 2002 um only explanation i can think of yep yeah like a microscopic <laughs> drone that <would> the <laughs> keyhole if they had still had keyholes in 2002 and i don't think they did but, maybe he was yeah. dressed like uh like the duvet or something and laid on the bed discreetly <laughs> maybe that's or like in a gill a ghillie suit <laughs> anyway I feel like I've weirdly talked about this somewhere before about the camera and being in a ghillie suit, but I don't remember where. Anyway. Anyway, all right. We head to Heyman. He uh, he and Show want to speak with Stephanie, but Steph says not now. And um, we get some illusion that could it be that she possibly will lift the suspension of Brock Lesnar? Um, he's been suspended for like all of two weeks, so um, would definitely make it not a very uh, intense suspension, but that is the intrigue we have here. So, of course, Heyman will be quite upset if this happens. So, any thoughts on this, uh, Tyler? Just pretty straight to the point. No, I had Big Show and Heyman burst into Stephanie's office. Nothing happens. All right. I guess that's my thoughts. <laughs> so. Speaking of nothing happening, we also get a, I guess, like a little vignette promo from uh, Bill DeMott. And we are told that he is intense and he likes beating up people. Um. Just um, a vacuum of charisma. This build them up. Um, but anyway, he's going to be facing Shannon Moore. You can probably see where this is going to be going here. Shannon gets some uh, desperation offense, but it's pretty much a squash. It's, um, you know, he's got some solid power offense. He's just not interesting at all. Like, he just doesn't really have, I don't know how to say, the it factor, if you will, right? He doesn't really have anything to make him stand out. Or come off as interesting. I, I don't know what's going on right now. The the Albert Demott push is all of a sudden happening on SmackDown. That I don't know where it came from. I don't know. Well, I, I guess Dave says Meltzer said it, that Vince picked Albert, but I don't know why Phil Demott all of a sudden is getting featured. But a star for the match, basic squash stuff. Nothing, nothing to write home about. All of that is correct. I also went star. <laughs> uh, I had the Demott character as an asshole and. The pop-up power bomb, uh, which I thought that looked kind of. I was surprised to see that in 2002. Uh, I thought more showed fine fire, but it sure didn't last long. Um, mm-hmm. I, I kind of feel like the bully of the cruiserweights might be okay if it gets paid off, but it, it seems like people have tried it several times, and it just never really hits and never works. And I, I just hate burying the entire division by proxy. 
Um, mm-hmm. And if there's a payoff, I sure don't remember it. And DeMott really wasn't worth the trouble anyway. Right. If, if I'm thinking of something, it's like, well, you know, it's kind of a, a standard thing that maybe doesn't always work, but you know who will make it work. He makes anything work. Bill DeMott, like, you know, it doesn't really, you know, I don't know if he's the guy who's like, he can make anything work. It's like, I feel like it's like the opposite. <laughs> like he'll make nothing exactly. work. Exactly. Because he's just kind of lame. Yeah, him playing an asshole, real real stretch there. He's really pushing himself. Exactly. Quite the actor. Quite, quite the thespian there. Right. All right, we head back to the Stephanie and Heyman drama. Uh, Steph tells Heyman that she is signing Steiner. This, I feel like this has been going on for like months. I know it hasn't, but good Lord. I feel like we've been talking about Scott. So I'm just like, can this guy just fucking sign somewhere already? I'm so tired of hearing about where Scott Steiner is going to sign. Uh, Heyman said he doesn't care, just like me. Steph argues that Brock makes uh, Steph argues that Brock makes money. Heyman is livid because she kind of gives that as the reason why she is going to lift the suspension. The Heyman freakout is really great. You get classic like flailing and squealing Heyman as he's pissed off about all this. Um, it does make the suspension seem kind of silly in retrospect. Like I said, it was all of like two weeks or something. And even on the ones where he wasn't supposed to be on, Brock was heavily featured. So I don't even really get it. Um, and you just get the whole feeling with this as we move forward that they are quickly moving away from the big show transitional champion. Like they're trying to end that reign as quickly as they can. Yeah, they might as well have him wearing a shirt that says transitional champion. Um, <laughs> right. And, you know, I, I think this is probably not as bad of a look as he's been in, in the other episodes where you've talked about it uh, a lot, where it's been oh. a focus. But it, this is the, the business casual big show for those oh. track at home. Yeah, I guess I didn't make a specific note about his outfit here, which is, I guess, a positive ram, because usually I do. Um, yeah. The, he loves his burnt sienna. Buzz's burnt Santa dress clothes. <laughs> the big show. I'm right. The only other thing I found, found uh-huh. notable here is I've made uh, notes of you know Armageddon multiple times in my notes, and this is the first time I spelled it correctly. So I never cared enough to correct it or try to figure it out, but uh, but this is the first time I actually got it right. Props to me. <laughs> Good job, Tyler. I'm glad. Thanks. Um, I, I take notes in my, um, in my phone. And so, you know, I'm usually doing it pretty quick. So there's, you know, the autocorrect really has a way. And I oftentimes get a lot of really ridiculous errors that kind of like, sometimes I bring back over the stuff. I'm like, I don't even remember what that's supposed to say. Cause it'll correct it. Something strange, but anyway, all right, we go to our next tag match, which this one sounds like it could be a banger on paper. It's uh, Kidman and Benoit versus the Guerreros. Uh, we, we get started, and like I always say on these, it's like a broken record, but I just can't not say it. Like, Eddie's attack is just so tight, high impact. Everything he does just looks absolutely fantastic. Like, his offense is just so great. It's just he does all these little things. Like, he just makes every move feel like it matters. It's it's hard to even describe, really. It's like um, when we did the... Uh, the the GWCW project, I would find myself with some of those old WCW NWA greats, like having the same thing. And Eddie is like in that same realm where I just, sometimes I can't even describe exactly what it is he's doing, but everything just looks fantastic. Uh, Kidman is the face in peril, who, which is always a good role for him. Benoit comes in, he locks in the cross face and we go to commercial. So another badly timed ad break. Like uh, we had that one on raw during the tables match. This is a weird one too, because you're thinking like, um, you know, 
that they're going to tap, that Eddie's going to tap and they just go to commercial. And then we come back and all of a sudden Kidman is beating down Chavo. So kind of anticlimactic. We get uh, some nice double leg bars by the Guerreros to kind of get the advantage back. Lots of back and forth, lots of great counters from both teams. The, the ref doesn't see Benoit's tag, so he just runs in and wipes everyone out anyway, which I thought was a cool kind of character moment for him that he's just not even going to care. He gets the headbutt on Eddie and just things uh, break down the total chaos after he hits the uh, the uh, headbutt. Chavo gets locked in the crossface. Eddie is able to avoid the shooting star and uses the ropes to uh, roll up Kidman for the win. So um, I, I enjoyed the hell out of that. I thought it was pretty damn fun. And already it's, uh, I think, the best match we've seen on these two shows. It was fun. I liked that it built. I thought they did a good job. One of my favorite things about this is I thought that they did get that chaotic finish, but it kind of slowly built throughout the match. Like it started off pretty standard where guys are following the rules. And as the heat built throughout the match, you just like – and I, you could feel it kind of coming to a head when Benoit just says, you know what, screw it. If the ref didn't see me tag, I'm just going to run in. And from there, just kind of devolved into chaos. So, I, like, it made sense. Like, they built it well into the chaotic finish, which was nice. But um, I went three stars. Just, you know, you wouldn't expect much less from these guys. Oh. Well, I, I was higher, so I, I went mm-hmm. three and three quarters. So that's probably oh. too high, but I was probably just no, a no. person. <laughs> right. But I thought it was really, you know, it was really great. It's what you'd expect out of Eddie and Benoit. They have that super intense opening segment, nonstop action. Uh, I like that this was a really good way to defend the tag titles and kind of advance some other mini feuds at the same time. So uh, Kidman and Chavo Jr. for the cruiserweight title, and then of course uh, Benoit and, and Guerrero, Benoit and Eddie. You know all these kind of have their issues so uh, i liked at one point eddie slaps his own hand for a phantom tag i mean as all good heel teams do but it's just literally right in front of the ref and he allows it and i'm completely good with it because it's lying cheating stealing eddie and you know Mm. who doesn't love that so although at one point there was i did think i heard the crowd saying that eddie sucked which surprised me because you know he eventually they they turn him organically turn him face pretty quickly i think but um, you know, I had that Benoit was very over as a face with the hot tag, uh, and I, I made note that apparently he did make Eddie tap during the commercial break, but the ref didn't see it. So, um, and I liked that the Guerreros cheated to take the advantage when Eddie pulls down the top rope, and then they just stick the shit out of Kidman um, mm-hmm. when Benoit accidentally distracts the ref, and that uh, that reminded me. Jake, of some of those great matches that we would watch in that WCW rewatch from last year's or from two years ago, I guess, stretch project. Uh, you know, we watched a lot of really great Midnight Express matches, and that's what it just seemed like this was kind of reminded me of. They, uh, the heels would would cheat, and as soon as but as soon as they got the advantage, they were just on them like that, and then they they'd use that advantage. So, just kind of a reminded me of that great Southern tag formula. So. Uh, and then I always like when Kidman can break out the shooting star press. I think he misses it about half the time because they don't always want him to win, but they always want to show that so he can he can get over or stay over. So uh, anyway, I you know I just really love this match. So yeah, it was good stuff. And it's again, it's impossible not compare it to Raw, where you know was this match really of much consequence? Not really, but. 
at least if they're going to have some filler, make it some like give it some time and make it some entertaining filler. So, you know, at least make it like fun filler, fun filler. That's what I call it. But uh, anyway, speaking of fun filler, we'll head backstage <laughs> to um, Tori angrily busting into Dawn's locker room. Dawn is upset that you would um, that you would talk like this after the night they had in the in the uh, hotel room. She talks about the skin on skin as she being sun robe. Uh, Tori tells her to stop spreading rumors, and Dawn responds by saying, "What rumors? It's all true." And uh, at this point, I was like, "This is just straight up like a slash fic come to life. <laughs> like this is just fan fiction here. It's like a um, <laughs> you know a romance novel written by um, a, a re- someone on a wrestling message board in 2002." Jerry Lawler. <laughs> Jerry Lawler. <laughs> well, this is this is too much restraint for Jerry Lawler. Like too much romance here. <laughs> too much. Uh, too much sensuality. He would just go straight on. Too much subtlety. Yeah, too, too much subtlety. story. Too too much story for him. He'd get straight to the, you know. But anyway, uh, Tori wants her to get Al and wants her to call off the wedding. So that's exactly what we do. We head to a break and then we head out to the ring. Dawn brings Al out. Taz, <laughs> Taz is roasting of Al. It's like a highlight of these shows for me. He says, because um, it's all hilarious that the, their reasoning for Al not being there last week was just the very vague he was overseas. Like, what the hell is he doing? Is he like an international like businessman? They said he was overseas. Nowhere specific. Not in England. Not, you know, in Germany or anything. He's just overseas, whatever the fuck that means. And Taz says that he was over there looking for a personality. He says that if brains were rain, that Al would be a desert, just constantly roasting him. Uh, so, uh, she reveals that Dawn reveals that what, um, what they heard is true. She spent the night with Tori, but then she looked into Tori's eyes. She saw Al, (laughs) Al, Al throughout this entire thing, Al trying to like emote or react to anything is just like, he cannot show emotion. He's like trying to show emotion and, and look upset, but all he can do is like kind of open his mouth a little bit. Like his mouth is agape a little bit, but just absolutely, like I can't even call it bad acting because I feel like he's not even acting. Like he's just really not reacting at all. Uh, she asked Al what his decision, <laughs> about what his decision is, but try to think of anyone. Um, sorry, she asked Al about his decision and says to think of anyone that makes him feel like she does. And she needs to know his feelings. Al says that he still wants to marry her. And he didn't even, I like that he doesn't hesitate either. Like they make it seem like it's going to be this dramatic thing. Like, well, are you still going to go through with it, Al? And instead of like pausing for a dramatic effect, he just immediately says, yeah, I still want to marry you. Like, <laughs> and so Tori has been played in all this because she was told if she allowed Dawn to have her way, that she'd call off the wedding and she is not going to. And so she runs in and beats Dawn down. Al, again, looking, quote, unquote, shocked, which is just him kind of standing there like a dummy. Like, with, like he tries to throw his arms up even, but he can't even do that in any kind. Like, he can't even overact. He, he just does nothing. It's ridiculous. He, like, and so she's whipping Dawn's ass for, like, two minutes straight. And he finally, like, half-heartedly tries to pull her off and gets pushed down on the ground, like, stumbles like a dweeb. Um, but uh, Dawn then gets uh, throws uh, throws uh, Tori into Dawn gets thrown to damn throws uh, sorry Dawn gets thrown to the steps. Um, the ref here is a little handsy as he starts trying to hold Tori back. I felt like he was um, you know st- sticking his hands in the cookie jar a little bit here. But uh, finally, Dawn at the top of the ramp vows to show on pay per view how much Tori enjoyed the hotel, and the world will see that. 
Tori is actually a sexual predator, according to Dawn. And that is how we end this <laughs> incredible, in every sense of the word, segment. So um, we will look forward to this um, this footage at the pay-per-view. But a, a lot going on here, Tyler. Um, <laughs> yeah. How did you feel? <laughs> well, I, I thought that uh, you gave Al a tremendous amount of credit when you said that he was trying to act for emotion. <laughs> and I don't think he was trying. I, I don't think he had any idea he was supposed to do anything other than stand there. So uh, <laughs> I I thought it was odd that after the backstage segment with Tori and Don Marie, uh, Don comes out to the ring now fully dressed, which she <laughs> had been yeah. undressing. But uh, yeah. But she's very and, good at it, Tyler. I, she's very good at getting dressed and undressed, okay? Well, I, I mean, I, <laughs> I didn't know about the getting dressed part, but they show the other, the reverse Pretty much all the time. Pretty much every episode she's on, he's peeling something. So, um, I had the same note about Al Wilson being overseas. So, I had what does he do? Is he an international man of mystery? That's the only thing I can think of. He's you know Al Wilson, Austin Powers, pretty much the same thing. So, um, and I was like, how can he be surprised? Does he not watch SmackDown? But I guess it didn't matter because. Don Marie came relatively clean. She's like, "Hey, look, this is the deal. This is what happened. This is what I've, this is what I did to your, to your daughter." But hey, have you ever found, have you found another woman that makes you as horny as I do? And uh, she does have a point. So of course, Al's there for it. Um, <laughs> when you think of this in any type of realism, though, it becomes so absurd that you just can't even. There's nothing you can could attach to this. So, but. Um, and when Tori comes out and attacks, I did notice that Don Marie was wearing a thong. We noticed that several times. Um, and then I just have, so be it. I like WrestleCraft, especially when it's self-aware and unapologetic. And, uh, I think this fits that bill for sure. Um, I remember the story was always that, uh, that Vince wanted more stuff like this, like Raw had Mm -hmm. the, uh, the Katie Vick stuff. And Heyman was booking this, so he's like, well, and, and Heyman was kind of savvy enough to, you know, well, I'm going to throw a, throw my bone, so to speak, and throw some stuff out there. But it's going to be, I mean, this doesn't really hurt Tori or Don because they didn't, you know, they're not challenging for the women's title anytime soon anyway. So, you know, so be it, whatever. You know, it doesn't really hurt the show, and it's just, it's so over-the-top ridiculous that it doesn't really matter, so... Yeah, it, you know, now that you say that, it does come off as because I'm trying to think of why, you know, the 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 raw stuff comes off so flat for me and so lame, and this stuff is just like, just like you said, it just hits the perfect spot of being ridiculous. And it, you know, when you say like the Heyman thing, it does come off as much more of like the um like the campiness of some of the stuff in ECW, and I'm not like an expert on ECW, but you know, some of the stuff I've seen, like obviously ECW had some of its kind of soap opera angles, but it kind of channels more of that and less of the like, um, like, I guess this just seems like they're trying to be like sort of tasteless and fun. Like the Katie Vick stuff just seems like, it's almost just like, I don't know how to put it. Like, just like them trying to be gross and it's not really fun even it's just kind of dumb where this is kind of just silly fun and i can kind of get into it and then you have 
you know, Al's ridiculous <laughs> reactions or non-reactions. And it's all just, you know, I think you bring up a good point. It, de- it definitely feels more like a, um, like the ECW kind of camp that everybody kind of fell in love with more than the, the, maybe the, the shittier parts of Vince's sense of humor. Yeah. I mean, Katie Vick, for one, it was in the main event, had no purpose there. Mm-hmm. It actively hurt Kane. Um, and I've never understood what they thought was the upside of that. If there was anyone, is there a, is there a segment that is just really interested in programming around necrophilia? If, right. if so, I don't want to know that. I hope there's not, but uh, I've never understood what they were going for. Whereas here, again, it's, it's kind of harmless fun and, you know, uh, Corey and Don, there is an audience for that type of thing. Usually no, no, no. on Skinamax. So, <clears throat> anyway. But if you're 14 years old and, you know, only have access, yeah. then I guess, yeah, this is on, you know, over there cable. So, anyway, uh, to, to the final, we'll put the, uh, the, the final uh, exclamation on this at the very end of this. So, they come back. And, like, Michael Cole is so sullen about the whole thing. He's like, I, I can't believe they would do this to Tori. She has to be so distraught. How is she going to get over this? And, like, Taz just completely no-sells and cuts him off and goes, I can't wait to see this footage, Cole. It's going to be hot. <laughs> like, he, he doesn't give a single shit about Tori's emotions. Like, Cole's trying to be Mr. Sensitive, and Taz just is not having it. It's fantastic. But, um, all right, so we will we will head on to a slightly less um, erotic matchup. It's going to be uh, Jamie Noble versus Crash Holly, which is a big rematch from last week. And of course, the scuttle is where's Nunzio? He's been uh, Noble's been talking about his uh, his cousin Nunzio showing up to help him out. Uh, Taz again tells us that Joey Number says that Nunzio is six eleven and jacked, buddy. So um, he thinks he's I think he says he's something like three hundred seventy pounds or something. So we'll see if that comes to fruition. A lot of fast-paced action. Uh, Crash is taking it to him again. Um, I always like Crash. Um, he, he pulls out some crazy stuff. Um, he's just like a ball of energy in this matches. But uh, he sets up the crash landing when a very diminutive man in white runs in for the DQ and cuts him off and um, saves uh, saves uh, Noble from what's probably going to be another loss. And it turns out that this is Nunzio. And so... Um, it, he is not, in fact, six foot eleven. He is actually a very small man. So, um, you know, there's the joke there. But match itself, I want to start. This was just the payoff to the Nunzio stuff to uh, to have Nunzio debut, and they do show that Nidia seems a bit miffed by uh, Nunzio showing up for one reason or another. I don't know if it's because she feels that he is taking uh, Noble's attention or what, but um, we have it. The much talked about Nunzio. Here he is, Tyler. Yes. So uh, <laughs> I just had that. I, I was so excited to see Noble and Nidhi on since they weren't on the last time uh, I did an episode uh-huh. with you. Um, and, and I really like that act. So uh, I made note that Noble is announced as from Hanover, Virginia. And I just had the thought that they probably have a really good pork tenderloin sandwich and biscuits and gravy at the diner there. So. <laughs> just a glimpse into my mind. So right. um, I did have that I, I like the Heyman booking that Nydia was used to bring in Noble um, to have an immediate issue with the hurricane and then Noble brings in Nunzio as his cousin and so he kind of is using all these things to flush out the cruiserweight division and you know it's not this isn't Shakespeare but it, it's good enough it gives everybody 
a little bit of a character and just a little bit of a connective tissue. So they have some issues with each other, some relationships with each other, which I like. That's, you know, that's doing something as opposed to nothing and just throwing them out there with no story. Um, the back pocket of Noble's jorts is ripped. So I guess the payments on the double wide are too much for him to buy new jorts. So, <laughs> um, and I thought they were having a pretty nice match until Nunzio interrupts the crash landing, which I guess is Crash's finisher, finisher, but I'm not mm-hmm. sure I've ever seen it. Um, but I'm not sure I've ever think, seen Crash win a I, match. I so. Yeah, I think it's basically the Styles Clash, honestly, if I'm not mistaken. Ah. <laughs> AJ Styles and Crash Holly, I, I think of them together often. So. Right. So, yeah, and I had down in my notes, Nunzio is Nunzio, so there's that was profound on my part, but then I had formerly little Guido in ECW, right? Um, and that he was all in all white. So um, I went at Gentleman's 2 because it was good while it lasted. Um, probably probably giving a little bit of extra love there, but I, I really like Noble and Nidia, so. so yeah, good. you're not going to get a uh, protest from me of overpraising Jamie Noble because he's awesome. And Crash is like, I don't know. He's kind of fun in these quick little spurt matches. But um, all right. So we have a big segment coming up. Stephanie comes out to the ring to to presumably finally sign Big Papa Pop. He, um, he comes out. She has the the contract on the table. She's excited. He starts to sign, but then he drops the pin. He says that uh, Stephanie has made some suggestive promises, and he reveals that when the camera stopped on Raw. Nothing happened. Um, she says she has the need, need to be with a real man. And Steph said it's not t- time to make good on any promises yet and that it will be more of a signing bonus. Um, he puts her on the table. So the whole implication here is that so we, we were it was kind of implied that she already did the deed with Scott trying to make him sign. But now we're told that she maybe promised to do the deed with him to get him to sign. It's a it's an odd turn for Stephanie here. But um, he puts her on the table very uh, provocatively. Um, I was thinking the SmackDown fist on this uh, episode has become very relevant between this and uh, the Tory stuff. It's um, the, <laughs> the fist is. Um, I think Jenny was on one time and she said big fist energy, and this show is having some big fist energy. But uh, she pops back up. Uh, we get a very unfortunate uh, slut chant from the crowd, which is kind of a groaner. But uh, he says he can't trust her with his professional life when she's a tease. And the crowd agrees that he can't trust her. And he, um, <laughs> I also love that uh, throughout this whole thing, he keeps talking about his freaks. And he's like, yeah, my freaks agree with me. And it's like nothing but dudes. <laughs> it's like nothing but wrestling fan dudes chanting with him, which was pop me. But um, Eric Bischoff shows up. So big deal that he would actually be on SmackDown. He stands there smugly as uh, she throws down the table and... Um, he is going to end up signing with Raw because um, so the whole th- the whole thing that I took away from this like I obviously knew he ended up on Raw but I cannot say I remembered that he ended up on Raw because Stephanie wouldn't sleep with him I could could not say that I remembered that's how it went down it is definitely a strange way for this whole saga to end but uh, it was a very long segment and it, it's just a weird turn for Stephanie like all of a sudden she's you know I don't know like <laughs> selling her body to get people to sign SmackDown it's just it's weird. It's a it's a quick turn from where she was when she started as GM. I don't know. Yeah. So my notes say Stephanie's excited about Scott Steiner signing as we go to a commercial. 
On the talk, I see an anti-vaping ad. I don't think things go <laughs> well for Stephanie or these vapors, and I believe I am living in the darkest timeline. I refill my whiskey. So that really just kind of tells you where things were going, where my mind was, and maybe explain some of my grades here. So, and anything from this point on. So, um, <laughs> and then everything that you talked about, uh, I noted the slut chant, and uh, I, I just ask is. Is Stephanie supposed to be a face or a heel here? And because I honestly, I have no idea from this. I, yeah, I thought she was a face. Well, it's like she had kind of turned heel with the Brock stuff, but then I don't know. Is she heel? Because like you would think the SmackDown crowd would want him on SmackDown. Uh, yeah, it's real. It's real messy. It's it. She she's kind of turned heel on the Brock thing, but in other situations, maybe not as much. I don't know. It's like. It's gotten a little fuzzy, is all I can really say. Yes, and so Bischoff shows up and grins, and he actually lands Steiner. So did Bischoff put out for Steiner? These are questions <laughs> that inquiring minds want to know. Or did Chief Morley do it? <laughs> is that why he was brought in? Yep, well, you know his history there. So. Right, right. There's your, there's your big chief tablet there so hello hello big <laughs> papa pump doesn't quite have the same ring so. uh, i like the head cannon we just created i'm into it yep all right <laughs> but um yeah it, it was a long segment though probably longer than it needed to be it's just so i'm just kind of glad they're done with it because like i said earlier i'm just kind of getting tired of the whole where's big papa pump gonna sign thing it just feels like it's been dragging on for a while but I mean, unless something else goes wrong, he's going to end up on on Raw. So, all right, we hear that Ray has a serious knee injury due to Albert possibly career-ending, and we, um, I think, feel like this is the point where you could, like, you sort of see the downside of this physical style that they work on SmackDown. Is you know, Ray's having more knee problems. Um, I believe um, they they recap Albert wrecking Edge's knee as well, but I believe in real life he was having some knee issues too. So I guess there is a downside to the SmackDown style of this kind of hard hitting because these guys are getting a little dinged up. But you know, I guess I mean Ray's knees have been you know giving him issues since you know pretty much his entire career. That's just kind of the way I guess his style, you know, what it does to your body. But anyway, uh, Edge talks. Edge cuts a promo and he talks about how Angle. Um, uh, sorry, Angle jumps in because they're going to be partners tonight, and Angle is confident he will have his back just like Brock will have his at the pay-per-view, and they push the the classic, can they coexist for this tag match? So maybe aligning Angle is a little more face, as we'll see in a minute. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I thought uh, this was a good way to make something good out of an injury that the footage about raised surgery and uh, I thought the transition into the Edge interview that Angle joins in is nice uh, and Edge noting that they have history and I just I like that Angle can shift into and out of the baby face or heel tendencies without having to make a big turn so right it's yeah just classic stuff but um, after that we go into the Armageddon card so some matches we didn't talk about on Raw yet uh, so we're going to get Edge versus Albert. That is not a match I would have expected a month ago to end up on the next pay-per-view. But um, Benoit versus Eddie. 
Uh, Kane is going to be facing Batista. And, of course, Show is going to be defending the title against Kurt Angle. And they really push the whole, is Brock going to be in Angle's corner or not, as like a big angle going into this. And, you know, it's typical just when you have this much talent. It does, even if um, it does seem a bit thrown together in like a transitional show, a, a typical December show, it does seem interesting. There are some interesting matchups on here, um, and it could end up being a pretty solid show just because I, and I've seen it before in the pay-per-views during this year. It's just there's just so much talent that if you just throw guys together, you could still come up with some still pretty good. Yeah, I, I agree. There's enough talent there that they can kind of fall backwards into a good show from time to time. All right. But uh, with that, we will go to our uh, our main event tag match. Uh, the final thing before we head to the pay-per-view, it's going to be Big Show and Albert, so quite a team, versus uh, Edge and Angle, which is also quite a team for a different reason. But um, the first utterance of uh, A-Train here, I, I didn't realize it, but um, that he did get – they didn't start calling him A-Train until now, but um, – they are really pushing it because they say it roughly 400 times during this match. Like Cole just is hammering that shit home. He must have been told to say it. Like you got to get over a train because he says it so much. Um, but there's a good callback here by uh, Cole to push the, you know, can Edge and Angle get along? Because uh, just a few months ago, we had the whole feud over the hair. Like, you know, Edge is the reason why Kurt Angle is bald. So, you know, there's some history between those two guys. So I like that he was able to break that up. But I, uh, I thought the beginning with Angle, like, doing, like, classic, like, uh, mat wrestling with Albert was kind of fun just to see, you know, Albert having the mat wrestle was interesting. Uh, he locks on the front face lock and, and and hits the front face lock, and then Albert comes back and just starts throwing him around. It's a, a, a cool dynamic to see Kurt working as the smaller guy here against Albert and Big Show because Kurt usually is either on the same level as his opponent or usually more of the power guy, depending on who he's facing. And uh, so Edge comes in, and they're all over his knee. He sells really well, as usual. Um, maybe not the most interesting limb work, but I thought it was effective, the way Albert and Big Show are working over limb. Heyman taunts with the title um, outside the ring, is taunting Angle with it. Edge comes back in, hits a Tornado DDT, and then they, he gets worked over a little bit. But then we get a hot tag to Angle, which was fantastic. Like, I was just popping, forgetting to see, like, angle work and face because he just like comes in like a house of fire hits a big German on Albert that looked great um show comes in and kind of cuts him off a little bit show distracts the distracts the ref and Albert nails edge with a chair they double team angle but he fights out of an angle slam shit hits the angle slam on show to a huge pop Heyman ends up distracting and the choke slam uh gets the win but um still a great chart my biggest takeaway from this was that angle looked like complete stud it was a good way. I thought if their main goal with this was just to establish Angle as a face since he has been a heel and kind of get him over with the crowd in that way because he's going to be facing Big Show, I thought it accomplished that. Like, it, he looked absolutely like a beast as usual and just transitioned straight into being a face like it was nothing. And I didn't think this is a bag tag to hype the pay-per-view because you have Albert going against uh, Edge and Show and Angle, and you kind of get them to all interact, and it was a fun match because talent involved. Um and all I was thinking by the end of this is, please give Angle the title. He is, you know, he is at a killer year. It would be, you know, it would be a very fitting end of the year to just give Angle the title. But I went three stars on this one like I did with the match earlier. I thought this was uh, honestly better than I expected it to be. Yeah, uh, I'm, 
I'm close with you there. I went two and three quarters. Um, I noted that the crowd chanted shave your back. So obviously a train is over. That's, that's how you measure, measure such things. Um, I noted that big show is wrestling in black jeans, though that may well have been the style of the times of 2002. It was a different time. Um, and yeah, I, I liked edge getting pummeled most of the match. I liked angle as a house of fire. Um, and then, uh, when once he got hit with the chair, I just assumed so that I assume he's injured and that's why the, the attack was for. But but that may not be the case. I, I that may just be my. I I always kind of make that assumption with Edge because I can't ever quite remember when he runs into those injuries. Um, but he was you know really good here and he's been really good in 2002. Uh, and yeah, I like Angle at the end going giving a go on his own. Um, and I think, like you said, it was a good way to kind of head into the pay-per-view. Yeah, not bad. Worst way to do it. It's it's kind of by the book, but that's not always a bad thing, especially when you have somebody like Kurt Angle. I don't know. Just I always love him, but it just it was cool just seeing him go face mode in this one, and just the crowd was completely behind him. Like he's so over, no matter what he does, it's fantastic. But um, yeah, it, it wraps up SmackDown. Um, you know, I didn't think this was an amazing episode of SmackDown. It wasn't really anything special, I'd say. But as usual, it's kind of a brisk, easy watch. They built the pay-per-view. You got a couple of good matches and a couple other matches that were pretty entertaining, if not like, you know, all-time classics. So uh, I thought it was a good solid one. I, I want to touch above Raw for sure and went with a good old solid 5 out of 10. Okay. So I, I went 5.5. So. Right. Makes sense. Because you're a bit higher on that tag, yeah. I was higher on that tag, and I, I guess I was, uh, yeah, I was starving for, for SmackDown mm-hmm. to redeem me because I kept trying, kept asking myself, am I just being overly negative here? And uh, I don't know, it was probably a little mixture of both. All right, so um, with that, that uh, wraps up both shows, so we could get down to our um, awards here. So best match. Um, I think I had him tied, but I think I'm going to lean t- more towards you if I have to pick one. I'm going to go with that uh, Guerrero's uh, versus Kidman and Benoit tag. I think that was your highest rated also? Yes, that was my highest rated. I had that as the best match. Very good. Um, best moment, would you have? I had Booker's promo to Goldust. Actually, with the Flair promo, I thought it was um, it was good to see – Flair kind of channeling some some vintage Flair energy. I enjoyed that. But the Booker one was good, too, I, for sure. Um, best show, yeah, I think. I we also used... would give, mm-hmm. a, I would give a, a slight nod to the Kane uh, uh, doing the Chief Morley. <laughs> right. So I, I thought uh, about doing it, but Booker's promo was too good. I couldn't do it. Right. Um, best show, easily SmackDown, I think, for both of us. Yes. Um, LVP, who you got for LVP on this one, Tyler? Triple H. Yeah, it makes sense. I think if I was going to go for like how much, um, you know, given the, the spotlight, I could probably go Triple H. I went with DeMott just because I feel like he brings absolutely nothing to the table. So I went with him, even though he's not like being pushed as a star or anything. So I went with DeMott, but yeah, it's hard to argue with Triple H, you know, he's for for the prominence. Yeah, and, and maybe I shouldn't watch this and get angry at the booking 20 years later, but those are things that I thought actually made the show worse. So, Right. No, I can't argue. Um, MVP, I'm easily going to give this one the angle. I just thought he looked like an absolute stud in that match. 
Uh, I went with Eddie Guerrero. Mm. Never a bad choice. All right. And now, so, you know, I discussed, I don't really do the top five, but I was discussing with you. I think in the new year, I'm just going to go with, uh, I'm going to be a little more easy breezy with this. I'm not going to say necessarily five, but let's just talk about some standout performance. We'll just call it, you know, uh, undisclosed number of <laughs> standout performances. So just anybody that you thought stood out, maybe besides our MVP, uh, Kurt Angle. Okay. Um, so, you know, I, I love that tag. So pretty much most of the people involved in that tag. So I had Crispin Ma as one of the, one of the people that stood out to me. You want me to go through yeah. all mine? Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kurt Angle, you covered it. And, you know, he slips in and out of the face heel. Uh, he's always putting on good matches. And if he's a, a face, the crowd's behind him. He's a heel. He can get him, you know, turned against him. Uh, so I had him. Um, I had Chris Jericho because I thought that was the best match on Raw. And I thought he was the best part of it. I thought he and Trish had good chemistry in the promo. And I really, I was making this list. And I thought I've got to have somebody from Raw. So uh, I had Jericho. Um, I had Billy Kidman. Because, um, again, I love that tag match. And, uh, you know, I thought Kidman's not going to get a lot. Probably won't get mentioned a lot here. But I thought he had a really good night. I mean, he got to kind of play with the big boys. And he, he looked, didn't look out of place to me. I thought he looked like he belonged there. Um, so I'm, I'm mentioning everyone except for uh, Chavo Jr. Because screw Chavo. But, <laughs> and really, that was peak. This is peak Chavo. Like, this is, I, without question, I think this is his most tolerable time. But, but he was not my other, and, you know, undisclosed number, um, which for me was five. Um, but Booker T was another one that I, I had because I did really enjoy that promo. So. Yeah, I'm with you on most of those for similar reasons. Um, I, I actually, I had Kidman too. I had Booker T and Goldust. I'm actually going to give Dawn a little bit of credit because I feel like she has, for that insane angle, I feel like she's really thrown herself into it. Like um, like her delivery at the end of like screaming at Tori Collin, a sexual predator. Like, you know, I'm going to give her some props for just putting her putting herself into that insanity. I think she's really been doing a good job for what it is. Yeah. Good sure. job, Don. <laughs> but um, anyway, so that wraps up the show, Tyler. Thanks, as always, for coming on. Um, would you like to push, you know, since we are in the new year, would you like to uh, plug anything that we have going on as far as the uh, stretch projects? I know that's typically kind of your main focus around these parts. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'll talk about uh, both the one that we just completed was the greatest WCW wrestler ever. Um, so we are kind of tabulating the ballots, so uh, making sure there's no hanging chads or, or anything like that. Um, but those results will be posted very soon. Uh, if they haven't dropped yet, depending on when this comes out, it, uh, they will be soon on placetobenation.com. Uh, I think that they will usually be posted on Friday. That's the current plan, but uh, look for them on the Facebook page or on placetobenation.com. Uh, and as you mentioned, we're in the new year, so we will be having a new stretch project, and I'm really excited about that. Uh, what we're doing is we're going back to the original, back to the roots, um, 
and we are going to revisit the greatest WWE wrestler, which was the first stretch project for Place to Be Nation. Um, and that was five years ago, so we wanted to take another look at that, see what's changed, who has made their case since then, um, who's completely new, who has just improved their their case. Um, and, you know, I, I will be looking at my past ballot and just kind of reconsidering some, some people that maybe they didn't add anything, maybe I just didn't appreciate them that much. Uh, and that's... Uh, so, again, I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. That's just through this project is kind of how I first got involved with, uh, with Place to Be Nation at all. Uh, so, it's hard to believe it's been five years, but I think it's, it's time to take another look. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it'll be fun to see because certainly a lot has happened in the past um, in the past five years. But um, yeah, so check all that out. And I think actually um, right here in North South Connection, I think JT and Aaron are actually going to do some uh, GWWE stuff on uh, Noel's Bar. So be sure to check that out, as well as all the other shows on here on uh, the North South Connection. Um, as for me, I'll be back in two weeks to cover um, the uh, Armageddon pay per view, which should be a lot of fun. But Thank you, Tyler, for joining me. And as for everybody, um, I will see you in two weeks for Armageddon. Later. in his car